Remain standing while we read God's word together from John chapter 1. There's no echo, that's in your head. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, we'll read these, we'll all read these and you can follow along in your copy of the scripture, we'll have them up on the screen as well, then we'll have a time of prayer. Here's what the word says in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because He was before me. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is God's word. You may be seated. Join me as we pray. Father, we are grateful that we can come to you this morning in this place and recognize what your word tells us about Jesus and how we ought to respond to him. Our prayer this morning, God, is that as we spend some time thinking about your word, that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes and hearts to trust you, that you would transform us more and more into the image of your son, Jesus, and for those who don't know you, that you would draw us by faith into new life. We pray as we celebrate and remember Christmas time, that our hearts and minds would settle on our Savior, Jesus, and it's in his name we pray, amen. Before we jump into the message, just a quick reminder for those of you who knew and were familiar with uh, Jim Chambers, he passed away a little while ago, but his memorial service will be Saturday, December 4th, here at the FBC Worship Center at 1 p.m. Gail Chambers and her whole family would enjoy your presence if you have opportunity to come and support her as we remember uh, Jim. So if you uh, would like to remember Jim and glorify God in doing so. December 4th, 1 p.m. here at the FBC Worship Center. Uh, Christmas is coming. I don't know if you knew this, if you're aware of this or not. Some of you may have begun preparations for Christmas already this weekend. Uh, Maybe you went out and purchased some gifts at a retailer. Maybe you uh, put up some decorations in your home. 
maybe you put some lights up or a wreath or 30. I don't know what you're into, uh, but maybe you've already begun preparing for Christmas. And certainly if you're thinking of traveling, maybe you've already begun preparing for uh, Christmas time in terms of laying out your plans. And we want to think this morning a little bit about preparing for Christmas, and we're going to do so through His Word. And what we want, uh, what I do is I have two things in John chapter 1 I want us to think about as a way of preparing ourselves to celebrate the birth of Christ in a manner that brings glory uh, to Christ. So we have two things. I'm going to give you the outline so that way if you uh, get tired and fall asleep, you, you know where we're headed. Christmas preparations. Number one, trust Jesus. Number two, enjoy His grace. How to be prepared for Christmas? How can, what are the preparations we can do today? Number one is trust Jesus, and number two, enjoy uh, His grace. So verses 1 through 5, trust Jesus. Now, I, some of you maybe eat at fancy restaurants. I don't eat at a lot of fancy restaurants. Well, there aren't a lot of fancy restaurants in Southern Oregon, honestly. But there's a new kind of fad. Maybe it's not new, but it's something you'll see at fancy restaurants. And it's, it's called uh, deconstructed recipes. So what you do is you go to a fancy restaurant and you order, say, a key lime pie for dessert. Now, you're going to pay $75 for this piece of pie. And this piece of pie is going to come out on a plank of wood that they're going to say was a hand harvested by Tibetan monks and shipped over by rowboat. And that's why it's a $75 piece of key lime pie. And then the, the pie upon this, upon this plank that was hand-delivered from Tibet is deconstructed, meaning you've got a pile of what you would think might be a crust, but it doesn't look like a crust. It's a pile of bread-ish stuff. Over here is what might have been the filling. It looks like a two-year-old took your pie and destroyed it. And, and so then what you do is you enjoy the component parts of the key lime pie for more than $2.75, which you'd pay for this pie at Sherry's, for the whole pie. And so this is the idea, is to separate all the things into its component parts, and therefore you really understand the thinking. And really, but most of us, when we, when we order a piece of pie, we want to eat it all together. The reason the crust tastes good is because it's soaked up some of that. You're hungry now, right? Go get another donut. So this is what we tend to do, though, with Jesus, especially at Christmas time, is we deconstruct him into his component parts, and then... Worse, more, we then just select the component parts that we find most appealing. And John chapter 1 presents Jesus as a unified whole. And what I want us to do is look at some of these parts of the whole and recognize to be prepared for Christmas, we have to trust Jesus as presented, not merely the component parts of Jesus we might find most appealing. The best way to be prepared for Christmas is to trust all that Jesus is and does, and to accept all of who He is, not just the parts we find most appealing. So let's start in John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. I'm going to read them again. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. When John is referring to the Word in the book of John, he's referring to Jesus, and he makes some statements about Jesus here in John chapter 1, verse 1, that are absolutely uh, crazy. In fact, it would be blasphemy if Jesus is not God. If Jesus is not God, these statements are 
blasphemy against God. In the beginning was the Word. What he's saying is, Jesus has no beginning. He was before all of the beginnings. How does your Bible start? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And John is saying here, in the beginning, the sun was there. The sun was already because the sun always has been. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. So we have a a troubling statement here. He's saying Jesus is God, and Jesus is with God. How is it possible for the Son, that is Jesus here, to be both with God and to be God? Then we recognize what our Older Testament tells us. Here, O Israel, your God is one. But we also recognize that although God is one, He is in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God always with God. The Son has always been with the Father and the Spirit. The Father has always been with the Son and the Spirit. And in the beginning, Jesus, the Son, is with God and is God. He has always been and He will always be. The religious leaders did not put Jesus on the cross because He was a better Sunday school teacher than them. The religious leaders did not put Jesus on the cross merely because he had the gall to heal people on Sabbath. What drove them bonkers is he claimed to be God. That was something that required the death penalty. And John here, in John chapter 1, is making it quite clear. Jesus is God in the beginning. Now, we must recognize something important that makes uh, what the Bible tells us about Jesus distinctive from what many other writings might tell us about Jesus. Many systems of belief might indicate Jesus is God, meaning he was born and over the course of time became God. That is, well, I don't know how to put this kindly, so I won't. That's heresy. Jesus is God because he has always been. He was born as a man in a certain point of history, but that's not when he began. He has always been. He said it so much as himself. Somebody He said it this way, before Abraham and Isaac are, were, I am. Jesus said, when Abraham was an old man, I've been around forever. So Jesus is and always has been God. He claimed to be God because he is God. Either Jesus is God or he is a heretic. Because that's what he claimed and this is what John claimed for him to be. So Christmas, to be prepared for Christmas, to celebrate the birth of Jesus, we must recognize something important about Jesus. He didn't start when he was born. Jesus never started. He has always been. That is what the Bible teaches us about God. He has always been, and he will always be. Second thing we learn about Jesus, he made everything. Verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus made everything. If something is, it was his idea. That little fish that lives in the depths of the ocean with the little glowy thing sticking out his forehead. I didn't know anything about it either until Finding Nemo. Then I discovered there's a fish with giant teeth and a glowy thing. And I thought, well, that's weird. Jesus came up with that idea. Why would he? I don't know, you can ask him. 
But everything that is was his idea, and he made it. Jesus made everything. Everything then also belongs to him and is, in fact, for him. Everything that is belongs to him and is for him. One theologian put it this way, there is not one square inch in all of the universe where Jesus does not point to it and say, that is mine. Now, you might have a few square inches of property that you say, this is mine. I hate to break it to you. It's on loan. He has made everything, including us, and everything was made by him. Everything that was made is his idea. Everything belongs to him and is for him. He made you, and he made everything that you enjoy. He made you and everything you don't enjoy. Everything has been made by him. Jesus, then, is the highest authority because all that is was made by him. This is not a complicated thing for us to figure out. If you go out in your shop and make a really nice end table, the table's for you. If the table then starts arguing with you about who's in charge of the wood shop, first of all, you would get professional help. I mean, the table's arguing with you. You got, you got some stuff going on. I just got to be honest with you. But you, th this isn't an argument you would even have. What, you wouldn't really try to make the point with the table. You would just simply discard the table. I made you. You're for me. That, that's the way it is. Well, I don't want to be a table. Uh, not taking suggestions, to be honest. And this is what the Bible tells us about Jesus. He made everything. So when we celebrate Christmas, when we recognize that Jesus was born as a man, we have to remember it was God who was born as man, God who has always existed and who will always exist, and he was born into his creation that he made for himself. This is the reality of what the Bible tells us about Jesus. Let's look at verses 4 and 5. More about Jesus. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is life and light. So remember back to Adam and Eve. Kylie Joe mentioned Adam and Eve. When God uh, told them, if you take and eat the fruit of the, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. What was he describing there? He was saying this. When you rebel against me, you have disconnected relationship with God, and God is our source of life. To be disconnected from God is to be disconnected from the source of life, and so therefore, we're dead. And Jesus here is telling us, Jesus is life because he is God. To, to have life, we need to be reconnected with God. We need to be connected with Jesus. So he is life. And he is the light of men. To have Jesus is to have life. To not have Jesus is to miss out on life and light. When we think about Jesus being born, we're not merely thinking about a heartwarming tale of an impoverished family having some sense of nobility and suddenly being used by God. We are talking about the hope of humankind, dead in their sin, having the opportunity in this one to be reconnected with the source of life and light. Jesus is light, 
and there is no darkness in him. And light always conquers the darkness. I noticed in my house, I've been looking for this light switch. I haven't been able to find it. But I can't find a switch to turn on the dark. What does the switches do? They turn on the light. Darkness, by definition, is merely the absence of light. Darkness doesn't have the ability to overwhelm light. If a light is on, there's no dark. You can't turn on a switch and then the darkness surrounds the light. That, that, I don't think it works. I'm not a scientist, but I'm pretty sure that's how it works. And what Jesus is saying is he is the light. There's no conquering him. As the light, darkness cannot overcome him because by definition, he is more powerful. As we think about Christmas, as you look at a nativity scene, as you go to a Christmas Eve service or you listen to Christmas songs on the radio, we need to recognize while this does provide some uh, enjoyment and some traditional connection with uh, something we enjoy and family and friends and good food and all those sorts of things, this is God himself saying, you need me to have light in life. And to reject Jesus is to reject light in life. And what we need to also recognize from John, to, to reject the parts of Jesus we don't like. I'll take the Jesus in the cradle, in the, in the manger. I'll take the, the, the Jesus walking on water. And some of us, are, I'll take the Jesus turning water into wine. I'll, you know, I'll take that Jesus. But the Jesus who tells me I have to recognize I need forgiveness for my sin, that seems a little intolerant. That seems a little confrontational. The, the Jesus that says he owns the universe, where does he get off? What do you mean you own the universe? Who do you think you are? And we've been saying this to God. So what we do is we try to, especially I, th I think at a time like Christmas, we tend to look at Jesus and we want to we want to deconstruct him into his component parts and the parts that provide the warm fuzzies for Christmas. We'll say we're all about that. But the parts that confront the realities of our rebellion, we'll say, you know, we'll save that for Easter or maybe Good Friday. But to be prepared for Christmas, we need to take God as he presents himself. He is God. Everything was made by him and for him, and he has come by his grace and kindness to provide us light and life. A couple of things before we jump into the second portion of this passage this morning. Firstly, Jesus is trustworthy. Let me explain two reasons why Jesus is trustworthy. Number one, because he's awesome. I just described for you, he's been around for a while, like longer than everybody. So he's awesome. Secondly, he made all the things. Think of the coolest thing you've got. He made that. And he makes stuff by just saying it. iPhone 11. There it is. I mean, that's, you know, that's ridiculous, but that's what he does. He makes things more complicated than that, right? And so Jesus, I mean, he made everything. Everything is by him and for him. This is incredible. Second reason he is trustworthy. He raised from the dead. If Jesus is not raised... If Jesus is not raised, he is not God, and why in the world did you get up early on a Sunday? If Jesus is raised, or maybe I should say it this way, since Jesus is raised, and this is well attested to, since Jesus is raised, what he has said about himself is true, which means he is God. He is trustworthy because he is God, dead, buried, and raised again. 
He is able to make good on all of his promises. So when he tells you, he is able to provide to you life and light, and you are like me. You say, I'm not sure about that. Life is kind of rough. It's kind of hard. We look at the open tomb since Jesus is raised. God in the flesh came to give us hope, life, and light. He is worth trusting, and he is trustworthy. He always keeps his promises, and his promises are always the best there are. Be prepared for Christmas. Christmas preparations. Number one, trust Jesus. Second thing, though, about being prepared for Christmas is this. Enjoy his grace. Not only is Jesus trustworthy and worth trusting, his nature is one of mercy and grace. The kind of person he is is merciful and gracious. So we trust Jesus because of who he is, and then what we discover is he's delightful. He's enjoyable. When you recognize what Jesus is like, there's no one else you would rather be with. So one of the ways we can be prepared for Christmas is to enjoy His grace. Look at verses 6, 7, and 8. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, I know you know your Bible real well, but let me just be clear. There's two Johns we're dealing with here. One is John, the guy writing the book we're reading by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Another guy is John the Baptist. So John, the author, is writing about John the Baptist. Are we good? Moving on. There was a man sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light. Who's the light? Jesus. Yeah, it's church. Right answer is always Jesus. <laughs> he came to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He, that is John the Baptist, was not the light. He came to bear witness about the light. Christmas preparations enjoy his grace. If you're driving uh, north on I-5 from California, you'll discover just south of the Siskiyou Summit a giant welcome to Oregon sign. Anybody seen this sign? Yeah, a lot of Californians have as they're leaving California coming here. Sometimes you'll be driving up the freeway, and I've done this a number of times, and there are people parked next to the sign, and they're taking pictures of themselves by the Welcome to Oregon sign. Have you seen this? And some of you are trying not to move because that was you. You're like, hey, welcome to Oregon, yay. Here's the thing, and I don't want to ruin Oregon for you. Oregon is better than that sign. I, I mean, that's a nice-looking sign, as far as I can tell. They've upgraded over the years. It looks like a pretty nice-looking sign. I've seen it. As I have, they have spelled the word Oregon correctly. The state appears to be shaped properly. I, you know, I... I haven't gotten out and really checked it out, but it, it's a nice-looking sign. I think the sign does its job really well. I think when you drive past the sign, it's pretty clear where you are. You're in Oregon, and, and maybe you feel welcome. If you're from California, I would, we hope you don't feel welcome, actually. I, I mean, got a big state, plenty of places to live. Now, I'm, that is terrible. It's also true. Um, now people are getting saved. We're preaching Oregon, people get saved up in here. All right. So here's the thing. You come to Oregon, you, I don't know of anybody, maybe there are some, they, they take a picture at the sign and they drive home. We've been there, we've seen the Oregon sign, that's all we need. The reason you come here and the reason the sign is exciting is it says you're at your destination. And now you can actually go into Oregon and maybe enjoy a river or a mountain or, or whatever they do in eastern Oregon. I, I, no, literally, I have no idea what they do in eastern Oregon. 
So here's what we need to recognize. Everything we enjoy at Christmas time, many of the things that are traditions that we enjoy at Christmas time are enjoyable, but they're just the things that are supposed to point us to the real enjoyment. And, and so many times we stop at the sign and say, okay, we made it, that was fun. And what we need to recognize using John as an example here is the signs that lead us to the Savior should tell, take our hearts to the place of real enjoyment, which is Jesus himself. John was a witness to the light, that is Jesus. He came to bear witness about Jesus. And look what it says in, in verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming to the world. Verse 10. He, that is Jesus, was in the world and was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. So Jesus humbled himself, as it says in Philippians chapter 2, became a man. In history, here is God who has always been and will always be. And at a certain point in history, he became a man. He didn't become God wrapped in man flesh. He wasn't God with a, with a man puppet body. God became a man. And, and he came here in order to, as a man, step in and become a sacrifice who could bear on himself the rebellion of humankind. And the world he had made didn't recognize him. The world he had made said, who are you? Well, I'm God. I made everything. And they rejected him. More than that, it wasn't merely just the world at large. It was also his own people, the people of Israel, who should have known him most clearly, didn't receive him. And why do people miss the Messiah? Why do people miss God in the flesh? It's because we anticipate if God were to show up, he would do A, B, C, and D. And I don't know what your list is. If the day God shows up in your life and says, what do you need done? You've got your list. And what would you respond if God said, oh, I'm not doing any of that? You'd be frustrated, just like the people of Israel were. God in the flesh shows up, and he just simply seems to not to pay attention to the fact that they are being impressed by the Roman government. He, he doesn't even really give them much thought. Jesus has the gall to be merely concerned about the way sin has separated their relationship from God and created death. The most upset Jesus seems to get is at Lazarus' funeral. Jesus comes in the flesh and nobody recognizes him. Why? Because God wasn't doing what we want God to do, and if God isn't going to act the way I think God should, take a hike. I got better things to worry about. And so his own did not receive him, but some did. Verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become what? Children of God. Who did that? I can think of one. John chapter 4, a woman at the well. Jesus is sitting there. Can I have a drink of water? Uh, you're not supposed to be talking to me. He says, oh, why don't you go tell your husband? Oh, I don't have a husband. There's leaving out a little details, and Jesus says, no, oh, you're right, you don't have a husband. The last five guys haven't been your husband. Dude you're with now, not your husband. Oh, I get it. That's embarrassing. And what does she say? She goes to the townspeople and says, I have found the Messiah. He has told me everything I ever did. And why wasn't that a problem? 
because the Messiah offers forgiveness. If you ask me for water, I will give you water and you will never thirst again. So Jesus came to the woman at the well and provided her exactly what she needed, forgiveness and grace. And so she received him. To all who receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. To become a child of God is merely to trust that Jesus is who he says he is and did what he said he did. He died on the cross to pay for our rebellion. He rose from the grave to give us life. And if you trust him, you have righteousness and life forever. Well, what else do I have to do? Well, you know the answer. What else do you have to do? Nothing. You just trust him. He is both trustworthy and worth trusting. What is Jesus like? He meets people like the woman at the well and offers grace and mercy. By faith, we gain life and light, and more than that, it says he gave you the right to become the children of God. In Christ, we are now heirs to the kingdom of God. We are now princes and princesses, I guess, if I can, I don't know if that's the right way to say that. In the kingdom of God, he gives us the right to be the children of God, not because we were born into the right family, we have the right heritage, because look at verse 13. We were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, but of God. When you trust Jesus, you are born again into a new family. Nothing against your current family. I mean, I'm sure it's great. It just doesn't measure up to the kingdom of God. One of the ways that we prepare our hearts for Christmas is to enjoy His grace. Two ways to do that. Number one, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, trust Him for forgiveness. Second way, maybe you've trusted Jesus for a long time, but you've never enjoyed His grace. You assume you become a Christian by grace and then live the Christian life by guilt and shame. That's what you've been taught. You become a Christian by trusting Jesus, and you stay a Christian by feeling bad about how terrible of a Christian you are. Why do you feel that way? Because that's what Christians do, don't we? You're not going to admit it. Fine. That's what other churches do, right? Okay. That's not what Jesus does. Now, Jesus is always going to tell us the truth, but he's always going to receive us with grace and mercy. There is never a time that you would not want to be around him, even when you're struggling, because his life is a life of grace and mercy shown to you. Look at verses 14 and 15 of John chapter 1. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John, the Baptist that is, bore witness about him and cried out this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. God became man, and the glory of God in the Son was seen by John, full of grace and truth. What is the truth Jesus tells us? Because of our sin, we are separated from God and will die. But what is his grace? Because of who God is, because of his grace and mercy, when we trust him, he gives us his forgiveness, life, and resurrection. Grace and truth. Jesus always tells us the truth and always gives us the solution to the problem we have, which is trusting him for grace and forgiveness. What do we get from Jesus? Verse 16 and 17. For from his fullness we have 
all received grace upon grace. How much grace have you received? Grace upon grace. How much grace do you need? Yeah, you guys are, yeah, a lot, and we all agree. How much grace do you need? I need grace. How much grace does he give? Grace upon grace. So this is the thing. This is, you know, I don't, know, I don't understand why we do this about God. And I'm assuming, I'm going to make my issues your issues. Don't we assume God's kind of a cheapskate? Listen, this is what we need to recognize about the day we step across the threshold of glory into heaven. We're going to walk into heaven and we're going to go, oh, that's embarrassing. God, this is too much. What are you doing? You know, I'm, I always make jokes. I always say, you know, they need janitors in heaven. And, and so I'm going to be, I'm, I assume I'm going to be a janitor in heaven. And actually, I was thinking about it upon further review of that. Actually, heaven would be a great place to be a janitor. Nothing ever gets dirty. You just walk around with your mop bucket, looking for dirt. Sounds kind of nice. But this is the thing. We're going to get to heaven. And we, we think about heaven the same way we think about everything else, that God is such a cheapskate, that he's just going to give us barely enough. And that, but, but here we, we see one more time. He comes to us, and it's grace upon grace. I don't, know, I don't know how much, I don't know how you measure grace, but I, I've said it this way before, and I'll say it this way again, and I don't know if it's accurate. If you're able to sin $50 worth of sin, he's going to give you $1,000 worth of grace. And, and he, why would he do that? Because that's what he's like. That, because that's what he's into. He does things more than they need to be done. That's what he's telling the woman at the well. He could give her just enough water to keep her not thirsty for a little bit. But he says, I'm going to give you water where you never thirst again. And then she may be thinking, like some of you are thinking, what if I run a marathon? Well, then I'm going to get really thirsty. Then you're just going to get more water. That's just how he is. There's a verse in Romans that says, should we keep on sinning that grace may abound? And we know the response. What is it? Heaven forbid. But it does. That bothers some of you. Say, well, well, if God just keeps giving his grace, well, people will just keep sinning, won't they? You have no idea how grace works then. Do you think grace is going to lead us into sin? And so what we do is we assume God's a cheapskate, and so I've got to stop sinning because if I take advantage of his grace, oh, I'll say it, take advantage of his grace. He's given it out. I'm off. I'm off. To, how do I get back to my my outline? I'll just jump back in where we were. Where were we? Some verses 16 and 17. For we have uh, from him received grace upon grace. The law was given through Moses. What do we get from Moses? The law. What do we get from Jesus? Grace and truth. Where else do we get law from? You get law from the sermons you preach to yourself throughout the week. I only get to talk to you for an hour or so each week. You talk to yourself all week long, and you blow it. I know none of you would, but you went to Thanksgiving with family, so I assume you were stressed. And you maybe had a bad attitude, and that one guy was there, and one gal was there, and you thought bad thoughts about them. Well, I hope they get in a car wreck on the way home. I know you would never think that. That's terrible. Or you find out, you know, he, he lost his job, and inside you're like, oh, that's, that's awful. That's terrible for you. 
You know how it is. You, this is how you think about people. Because they've bothered you throughout the years, and now in the, in the back of your mind, they're going to finally uh, get theirs. And then you're feeling bad about it. And so what we do is we preach ourselves a law sermon. Because I thought something awful, I'd better make up for it. I'd better be really nice to that person. Or maybe I should uh, buy coffee with the person behind me in Starbucks. Or, or maybe I should volunteer uh, somewhere. So we preach ourselves a law sermon. I've done something awful. I've thought something awful. And so therefore, I must do something to make myself feel less awful. And the word we use for that is shame. Anybody ever done this? You know, where you do something or think something terrible, and now you've got to make up for it, because now I feel terrible, right? That's law. If you want more of that, go to your Old Testament and read Moses. It's got it for days. Jesus does it different. The law was through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus. Jesus is different. We go to Jesus. What did he do? He always tells us the truth. He goes, boy, yeah, that was terrible what you were thinking there. I'm going to do work by my spirit to keep working on you and changing you over the course of time. But guess what? My grace and mercy is sufficient for you, even in that so gee, he's always going to tell us the truth, but he is always going to give us grace and mercy. But we love law because we want to be able to earn the right to be, unload our shame. How good is law at getting rid of your shame? Terrible. How good is Jesus at getting rid of your shame? Perfectly good at it. If we'll just trust that he's actually this gracious and merciful. Jesus became a man the glory of God is His Son, full of grace and truth. Look at verse 18. No one's ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. Jesus has made Him known. What is God like? Jesus. Jesus makes the Father known because Jesus known the, uh, knows the Father, and so the Father is also full of grace and truth, so in Christ we can know God. How can we be prepared for Christmas? Number one, trust Jesus. Trust that he is who he says he is. He is God in the flesh making a way for humans to have salvation by faith in him because he died for us and he rose again. Second way we are prepared for Christmas is enjoy his grace. Recognize that the life of, of Christ in us is a life of grace and mercy day in and day out. If you want law, Go to Moses. You want grace and mercy? Find Jesus and trust him. All right, I want to give you three signs, three Oregon signs. Kind of things, these are kind of Christmassy things that I'm just kind of arbitrarily picking three things that will hopefully point your eyes and hearts back to Jesus during a time of celebration. Number one, gifts. My understanding, a lot of people give and receive gifts during uh, Christmas, is this a thing? Yeah, got it. We should enjoy those gifts. We should enjoy giving gifts. I'm totally into gifts. I'm totally into getting them and giving them. I don't, I'm not being down on them. But, but what I want to sort of say is, what if they're just a sign? What if they're just something where we receive something and we know a little bit what it's like that somebody took the time to think of, of us, that knew what we liked and we're interested in and, and sacrifice some of their own resource to provide something for us. And, and as enjoyable as that is, what it can serve 
for us is merely a sign to say God has been doing that a lot longer, and he's been doing it a lot better. God has given us his grace and his truth, and we might even say it the way the scripture does this morning, his grace upon grace. So as enjoyable as any gift might be, it's merely a sign to point us back to Jesus who is the gift giver, giving us grace upon grace that we may have light and life in God, in his family forever. So when you're opening your gifts, you don't need to give a sermon. Just play this one on, no, I'm kidding. That's just an opportunity in our heart. If, when we open it and it's enjoyable, it can just trigger a thought, Lord, thank you. This is wonderful. This, this item this person has bought me is wonderful. But your grace upon grace is more. One little sign, gift. Secondly, uh, lights. Talked about lights. I've noticed we put Christmas lights up on the house. I'm terrible at it, uh, but I get them up. I, now, I don't just merely throw them up on the roof and then plug them in. I do actually, you know, sort of connect them. But here's the thing. I've noticed they look a lot better in the dark. I mean, you could turn them on during the day, but they don't look nearly as nice. But when it's, when it's night out, that's, that's where the lights really pop, don't they? And here's what, as you're driving around, especially at night, and you're seeing those lights, this is exactly what Jesus did when he showed up. It's just this bright light that, that is most pronounced because he came in such darkness. He came into our darkness. Jesus is the light. Jesus is the light that illuminates our darkness. The darkness can overcome it, cannot overcome it. Jesus pierced the dar- pierces the darkness of our own sin and rebellion and offers us his grace upon grace. Okay, two signs so far. What are they? Gifts and lights? Okay, last one. Are you ready? I can't tell if you're ready. Well, here we go. Gathering together. A lot of people do this. I, w- I hope we have an opportunity to do this. We come together with family or friends or coworkers or whatever it might be uh, to celebrate Christmas time. And, and these reunions are enjoyable. I hope they are, other than the one guy I was talking about earlier, right? And we, we look forward to these times. People we haven't seen for a long period of time. And, and we come together and, and, and we enjoy reconnecting. What we have to understand what Jesus did for us, though, is he made us, by the work of his redemption, he gave us himself as our family. He gave us the Father as our family. So as wonderful it is is to reconnect with one another who we haven't seen and to come together and to celebrate and to feast together and enjoy the the blessings of God together, what those ought to do is also call to our hearts There is something better coming. There is a better reunion still yet to come. There is a reunion with the Father that far exceeds any reunion and gathering that we might enjoy here. And you say, well, I don't know that I anticipate it as much as I do getting together with family and friends. I understand that because we're merely, we're human. We're still broken. We're not home yet. But on that day, we're going to see, when we stand before the Father, we're going to say, all of, the, all of the other closenesses I've experienced, all the other gatherings and connections I've experienced were small potatoes compared to this reunion with my Father. Gifts, lights, and gathering together, all signs that point us to something better, which is Jesus, who is trustworthy and worth trusting. Will you join me as we pray? God, we thank you for the grace and truth you have shown us in Jesus Christ. We are thankful, God, that we have the opportunity to worship you, not not only here at church, 
but we can worship you as we celebrate together the birth of Jesus. As we open gifts and look at lights and come together with family and friends, our hearts are once again reminded of all the blessings you have shown us. God, we pray that our hearts would be prepared to receive from you that which you have provided, grace and truth. Father, would you open the hearts and minds of those who are here today who don't know you, that they would trust Jesus for forgiveness. God, also I pray for those of us who have known you for a while, but for some reason, either experiences at church or with other Christians or uh, who knows, Lord, at some point we stopped enjoying relationship with you. Father, we ask that you would soften our hearts, that we would see so profoundly your work of grace and mercy, that we would once again enjoy your presence. Father, we thank you for sending Jesus to die for sinners like us and for the grace and mercy you've shown us. In his name we pray, amen. Why don't you stand up with us as we close with the song.